Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're just going to crack straight into it. Um, and I'm going to uh, Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through to 16. Uh, and it goes something a little bit like this. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Have you ever been put on the spot by one of your closest friends? Like imagine if, if I just came up to you and I was like, hey, tell me what you really like about me. Like what are the best things about Calvin? Now I would assume, uh, hopefully, that that would be some sort of positive discourse, right? That if we were in this conversation, you would probably have some nice things to say about me. I would hope you'd have some nice things to say about me. And you'd probably start off by talking about some of the things that I do. You might say something like, well, I enjoy the way you preach, or I really like the way you play soccer with your friends, or something. You know, you'll start talking about the things that I do. But then as that conversation would kind of go on a little bit, um, you might start talking about some of the things that I am. So you might start making some observations about my character, things you sort of notice from afar. So you might say something like, well, you always seem to be really kind and and genuine when you talk to someone. Um, You seem to be really generous. I, I don't know, I'm just assuming that these might be things you would say about me. No? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Humility, oozing out your pores. But what would happen is that, is, is that as that conversation went on, uh, things might get a little bit deeper and a little bit more personal, and you might start talking about the kind of friend that I am to you. Maybe you, maybe you might speak to, to my loyalty or uh, to my friendship um, or my, my ability to listen and uh, respond, respond with... Uh, Empathy and compassion. Maybe. Maybe. And probably as that conversation would go on, our relationship would sort of find a new context. We, as, a, as, a, as two friends, might draw closer to one another. I might learn things about myself that I hadn't even thought about or wasn't aware of. There are things about myself that in that process I might become more confident in. You yourself, even as you say them, you, you might recognize that some of those, those are things that you do as well, and you might begin to celebrate some of those things in yourself. You might uh, feel in the midst of that conversation that there are some areas that you want to grow in, and I might feel in that conversation that there are some areas that I want to grow in, but it becomes this wonderful little, uh, little conversation that sparks some sort of life between us. You know, this is what is happening in this story when Jesus asks the question, who do you say I am? This moment in the Jesus story is a fascinating one because it puts the disciples right on the spot, compelled and invited to share their opinions on the man that everyone has an opinion about. Jesus has been going around stirring up the pot in all kinds of ways, incredible ways, beautiful ways, majestic ways, but like uh, really challenging ways new ways, confusing ways. So everyone has an opinion or thoughts on this person of Jesus. 
And uh, that invitation that he extends to his disciples shapes the trajectory of their ministry to come. This is a pivotal conversation as we see in Scripture. What will happen is that uh, Jesus will go on to declare that Peter is the rock on which he will build his church. This is the starting point of Peter's ministry. This is a significant moment that happens in the Scriptures. And so it seems like a wonderful story to center ourselves on tonight, to look at this question that is extended to uh, his disciples, this question that Jesus throws out there. And uh, I think that there might be something really special in it for us this evening. So let's consider for a moment what it might be like if we were in this scene, if we were a part of Jesus' group of disciples walking with him. This is what it must have been like. It's been a pretty busy season for you lately. You've been walking among the hills and the valleys of northern Palestine, there in the land of Gennesaret and in the towns of Tyre and Sidon and on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth has told a group of Pharisees off for their hypocrisy. He's engaged in these incredible debates, theological debates with these Pharisees and accused them of hypocrisy. During this time, you've seen Jesus rid a girl of unclean spirits. You've seen him restore a deaf man's hearing. You've seen him feed a multitude of 5,000 people with just seven loaves and a few small fish. Then what happened after that is uh, you boarded a ship. You saw uh, Jesus sail to Dalmanutha where he confronted the Pharisees once more. And then from there, he traveled to Bathsheba where you saw him heal a blind man. And then walking north towards Caesarea, Jesus turns to you in this moment, having seen all this, having experienced all this together, and he says, who do men say that I am? Who does everyone who encounters me say that I am? And there's a whole bunch of different responses, right? One of the first ones is really interesting. I never, I never realized this before, but I was doing a bit of research on it. But one of the first things that comes out is people say, oh, they're saying that you're John the Baptist. Now, there was this guy, King Herod, right? And if you know the story a little bit, he had John the Baptist beheaded. And uh, he, was, he was almost obsessed with John the Baptist. And um, what was happening at the time was there was this fear that uh, John the Baptist had somehow reincarnated inside this person of Jesus. And so there was this actual narrative that was going around. There was this fear being spread. Maybe this is John the Baptist back in the form of this person, Jesus. Um, there was talk amongst the... Uh, the Back again, uh, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. There were also a bunch of negative things being thrown around. Jesus was a false prophet, spreading heresy, spreading lies about God, trying to change the narrative uh, for the people of Israel. There were a whole bunch of things being thrown around. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, like, what are people saying about me? What are they calling me? What are they identifying me as? So it's really easy to answer that question. You know, if I asked you, hey, guys, what, a, what does so-and-so say about me? They'll, they'll, it would probably be easy for you to answer that. But it's much harder for me to ask you the question, what you personally think, because you almost have to, to think about it for a second. So Jesus kind of throws out this easy question to begin with. And then he comes through with this, well, you've heard these things being said about me. You've heard what these other people are saying. Now, who do you say... I am. Peter's response is really significant. First of all, it's a little bit of a genius move. And if you've studied Peter a little bit, 
he's not always like the most genius of dudes, right? He does a lot of things kind of real haphazardly. Um, he's a little bit out there. But this is a really smart one because it's, a, it's an incredibly broad statement. It kind of encapsulates quite, quite a lot of who Jesus is and how people are seeing him. It's a, it's a theological answer. It's a political answer. It's a, uh, it's a hopeful answer for the future of a people. Like this is a really powerful thing that he says. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why is it theological? Because in the ancient Hebrew scriptures, there's talk of the Christ, the Messiah, meaning the anointed one. And the anointed one was the person who was going to come and bring redemption for the people of Israel, who was going to rescue them, take them towards freedom. This is why it is a... A theological statement, a spiritual statement, but it's also incredibly political. If you've if you've studied and you've looked at the Roman Empire for a little bit, the the term "son of God" was actually a term that was used to describe Caesar. So here is here is a man saying, "You know what? No, Caesar is not the son of God. You are the son of God." There is a divinity that's being recognized in the person of Jesus during his ministry. Like This is a really significant thing. Also, to make a claim like that while you're in a Roman, a Roman territory was a big deal. You got executed for, for speaking out against the Caesar. But this was the declaration that Peter makes. So you are the Messiah, you are the chosen one, you are the bringer of redemption, of reconciliation, of restoration. You are going to bring our lands back to us. You are going to overthrow the kingdom and the powers of darkness. This is such a broad, theological, political, hopeful, powerful statement that Peter makes. And Jesus is taken by it. He says, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You know, Jesus affirms uh, the grace of God working and moving in Peter's life in this moment. And for Peter, it's a self-defining moment. So through this grace, he discovers himself in the presence uh, uh, of the one who uh, is living and working through God and revealed the way of God and revealed the way of love and justice. And out of this encounter springs this incredible hope for Peter's ministry moving forward. There's this wonderful, there's this wonderful little interaction that takes place and this wonderful affirming of who Peter is and what's to come. But as I've um, dwelt on this passage a little bit during this week, it's, it's also brought up some questions about Jesus in this interaction. Because I've often thought about what Jesus thought of about himself. You know, there's this whole section of theology, this whole uh, area of study called Christology, which looks essentially at the divinity and the humanity of Christ. It's very easy for us in church to be like, God, uh, Jesus was 100% God and 100% human, and that maths doesn't work out, and we're totally okay with that. And that is a... That's a theologically accurate statement and we all just kind of sit with that. But for thousands of years, people have wrestled with that, devoted their entire academic uh, and theological careers to the pursuit of understanding Christology more, of wrestling with it more. And, and uh, there's been all kinds of books that have read. There's been uh, attempts to understand the, the, the teachings of Jesus, uh, trying to understand the uh, historic 
uh, elements of Jesus. So this historical person, what was he like? What might he have believed about himself? There's been this incredible pursuit to try and understand uh, who Jesus was and particularly what he considered. Um, So did Jesus know he was God? Was that a concept that he thought of? Well, Jesus, if we look in the scriptures, he uses the term son of man to describe himself 71 times. Um, And this is actually a a really common Aramaic technique. Um, So when he says, you know, the son of man has no place to rest his head, this is, uh, you know, there's some sort of significance. There's there's a linking there to the story of Adam and to the Jewish people, Um, but that doesn't doesn't necessarily uh, correspond to being uh, a son of God per se. Um, so there's this, interesting, there's this interesting concept that he wrestles with. He never refers to himself as the son of God. And in fact, even after this encounter um, where he says, you know, this is, uh, you know, what's been revealed to you by, by the Father in heaven is, is good. He then goes on to tell his disciples, but don't, don't repeat it to anyone, right? And just keep it quiet, keep it on the down low. So there's this interesting exploration of what it is that Jesus actually believed about himself. Jesus accepted a number of other terms about himself. Uh, He uh, accepted the term rabbi, teacher, prophet, physician, healer. These These are words that he accepted about himself. And so while it is hard to pin down what Jesus believed about himself, what is really clear, and as you see the Jesus story unfold, as you get towards the cross, as you get towards um, the horrific trial that he has to face, um, what becomes incredibly clear is that he, he has this divine calling. And so whether there's this divine knowing right from the very beginning, right from him as a child, or this growing human sense that God is doing something in him and there's this thing happening, there is this very obvious sense that Jesus has some kind of divine calling. And this moment, this moment uh, of interaction with Peter and with his disciples seems to affirm something of that calling. And so it seems to me that this reaction, in this reaction to Peter, that Jesus himself is also blessed by Peter's words. And so perhaps there was this moment of social and relational encouragement for Jesus as much as it was for Peter. And so this question breeds something magnificent and wonderful in their midst. And so with that laid down as a base, I want to zoom out a little bit and consider what this question means for us. Who do you say that I am? I don't think it's a, it's a statement or a question that uh, rings true just 2,000 years ago, but I think it resonates with us. I think it does something inside of us. Um, <clears throat> Uh, So what does it reveal about what we think of Jesus? Uh, The theologian N.T. Wright says this, what you say about Jesus affects your entire worldview. If you see Jesus differently, everything changes. You know, what's amazing is that even though Jesus was only around for three short years of ministry, he did incredible things, revolutionary things. And so we use a number of incredible words in our own lives to describe him. You know, we talk about him as the son of God. We talk about him as a wonderful uh, ethical teacher. We talk about we talk about him and celebrate him as a healer. We talk about him as uh, an advocate of civil rights, the way he treated the foreigner uh, from other lands. We talk about him as an advocate for women's rights, the you know, for the stories that come through the Gospels about the way Jesus interacted with women and what he invited women towards are incredibly significant. These, these things really matter. We um, talk about how he was a feeder of the poor and a friend to sinners. These labels and these titles shape our understanding of who he is. And what's interesting to me is that 
Almost implicitly, we have the opportunity to answer this question every single time we go out uh, into the world. Every single time we go out into our jobs, into our universities, uh, into our, the places we play sports, every single time we go out and we're confronted with, with something or anything or anyone, we have the opportunity to answer that question again. Who is Jesus in this moment? And as I answer that question, the things we do say and advocate for can be informed by our answer to that question because that answer shapes our relationship with God and who we are. The other thing is that, um, is that the question, I think, often reveals something about ourselves. Naturally, as we answer the question for ourselves, our answers disclose as much about us as they do about Jesus. Um, this guy called Albert Schweitzer who wrote a book uh, called The Quest for the Historical Jesus. Um, he, he spoke a lot about the process of writing his book. There are a lot of interviews about what it was like to, to study the historical Jesus and try and understand this person. And, um, and he said, you know, this is what he said. He goes, there is no historical task which so reveals a man's true self as the writing of a life of Jesus. So in the process of him studying Jesus, in the process of him writing about Jesus, what he discovered was that he learned about himself, that actually studying this person of Jesus and writing about it began to shape things in himself and for him to recognize things in himself. And he felt invited towards a different way of viewing Jesus and viewing the world around him and viewing the way that he interacted. So he's like, there was no, nothing else you can do historically, no other task you can do academically that will shape you as much and help you discover your true self as writing about the life of Jesus, which I just thought was incredibly beautiful. This question exposes the things that matter to us the most because the elements of Jesus that we're drawn to, the things that he did, the kinds of people he responded to, it reveals to us the things that are important to us. And so if you're someone who is drawn to those moments of prayer, when Jesus retreats and has these quiet moments, or when he prays for someone with a sickness or with an ailment, if you're drawn to that, then that's something that God's put in you. And he's inviting you to like invest in that. If you're drawn to the, to the scriptures about social justice, about loving the least of these, about reaching out to the broken, about, uh, about clothing the naked. If you're drawn to those things, then God is inviting you towards those things. You discover things about yourself. And sometimes what you discover is whole areas that you'd never thought about, never thought about being involved in, practicing, investing in. And you discover in this process as you answer this question that actually there's an invitation for you to move towards those things and discover more of yourself in the midst of them. Jesus' question, who do you say I am, is an invitation to take personally and seriously the possibility that maybe we need to see him differently. It's an invitation to venture beyond the iconic Christs of popular culture. It's an invitation to uh, go beyond the hierarchies of church. It's an invitation to go even beyond scholarship and study of Jesus. It's an opportunity to allow ourselves to be confronted by Jesus, just the person of Jesus. Having Jesus right in front of us, we get to look at him and answer that question. 
Jesus' question is an invitation to take personally and seriously the necessity to stop taking refuge in the answers of others. And it represents the opportunity for us to uh, answer that question ourselves. It's an invitation to stand uh, effectively, uh, as existentially naked as we possibly can before the one in whom our existence finds new meaning. We stand vulnerable before God when we answer that question. And we learn something about ourselves and we learn something about Him in that process. Who do you say I am? Is the question that God asks us. And I, th- I think He asks us it this evening and in this moment. Who do you say that I am? Man, I've had the luxury of like thinking about this answer over the last few days. My answer is this. Jesus, you are the one in whom I am loved and am called to love. It's really as simple as that for me. You are the one in whom I am loved and am called to love. And so for me, it's about figuring out what that means for who I am and how I live. And I don't want to avoid that question. Because when I respond to that question, I connect once more with what it is Jesus is inviting me towards. I encounter him again. The relationship becomes deeper. It's, it's like something special happens in that moment. Simply by responding to the question, who do you say? I am. So why don't we stand and uh, I'm going to close in prayer. And what I want to do is just give the opportunity for us to stand in that place and allow God to ask us that question.